you start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this week, we are dissecting 1981's Happy Birthday to Me, directed by Jay Lee Thompson. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, let's see. We're in the new year, officially. Yes. It's Bee's birthday month. Yes. She's turning 26. No. 27. Yeah. 27. It's okay. I definitely had a moment right before Kate's birthday. One of my best friends, Kate... Um, her birthday's in November, and then our other best friend's birthday is in December. We're literally almost exactly a month, like, to the days two apart from each other. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, turning 26. She's like, no, we're turning 27. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was convinced for, like, months I was turning 26. I somehow thought I was still 25. Um, but, no, I'm 27. Yeah. Well, almost. Almost like, 27. a week shy. Yeah. I know. Your birthday and then our friend Derek's birthday is... Right. Well, his is two days before mine. Yeah, two days before. So we've got a 30th birthday, and we've got a 27th. Yeah, so that's why we chose the movie that we're going to watch this week. Um, so we're kind of in the post-holiday. Um, Bee's hella pregnant, so, yeah. you know, like, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Last time we recorded, uh, when I got here, no, it was after the recording, because, like, we were sitting down, obviously, the whole time, and, like, when I'm leaving, I, like, looked at her, and I was like, dude, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you know that phrase, they use that phrase, like, she popped? Yeah. Like, I get it now. Yeah, no, that's what happened. Like, I was actually getting really frustrated, because I wasn't showing at all. I just looked like I gained a little weight. And, like, <laughs> thickened out a little. I just look a little chub. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that while it's happening. No, but, but it's yeah. that's what it looked like. It didn't look like a baby bump. It just looked like I, like, let myself go a little. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is really annoying. And then Thanksgiving, like, around Thanksgiving, I was, like, at the 20-week mark, and I finally, like, popped a little bit. And then by Christmas, mm-hmm. it was, like, full-blown, that's yeah. a baby bump. Yep. That's a baby. Yeah, there's a baby in there. So that's what's happened. I've actually, I haven't really done anything to talk about because I've been having like a rough few weeks with the pregnancy. I've been in a ton of pain and sort of that they talk about it's like the first trimester for most people is really hard because of the morning sickness and the exhaustion. You have to get ready like used to that and it was really hard for me. Um, And then I hit the second trimester and it was great. Like I got my energy back. I wasn't sick anymore. I hadn't popped yet so I wasn't having any like the pains that are associated with pregnancy and then now I'm like a few weeks shy of hitting my third trimester I'm almost there and I'm have a larger than average baby so far um he's like a couple weeks ahead in size dude oh my god I forgot my dream <laughs> oh man I dreamed that I came over Do I want to know yeah it's not like anything bad um it's not like weird or anything um I just dreamt I came over and you're like oh like you kind of did what you did when you told us you were pregnant, uh-huh. but you were like you were like doing it again, and I was like, "What is she doing?" And you had twins. Oh God! You had found out because you were like, it's like my worst you said, nightmare." You said the boy's name, but then you said a girl's name, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And you're like, "I have twins," and I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "So your baby's not hella big? You just got two of them?" Oh, my God! Yeah, it's like my worst nightmare. My first ultrasound, she's like, "All right, let's make sure there's just one baby," and I'm like, "Please be one baby. Please be one baby. I don't want twins. I don't want more than one." That's actually what. So my wife. Twins run in her family. Her cousin was a twin, and her grandpa is a twin. And there was like one more. And then what is even worse for her that kind of freaks her out? My mom's biological family that we just met because my mom was adopted. We met her biological family this year. 
twins. Uh-uh. Like, twins running That's it. That's so scary. Yeah, so Ash is just like, I'm like, I mean, I whatever. mean, the nice thing is that you, like, if you want multiple kids, you, like, knock two out at the same time. But yeah, potty training once. Yeah, yeah. it's not, not, not how I pictured it. But I, I yeah, I've uh, definitely seen you and your pregnancy and getting older and not so naive and, like, single-minded about it, I've got to the point where I'm like, it is not my body, so I'm not going to be the yeah. one to kind of make those calls or, like, want those things. Yeah. It's hard. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I love it, and I I really don't enjoy, I don't like complaining about it. I don't like talk about it because no. I feel so lucky to be pregnant. I'm so happy. Um, and, like, I don't want my child to feel like I have any negative thoughts towards him so far but um yeah I've like sprained one of my ribs and I'm just like in a lot of pain so I've been doing a lot of like baths and reading and like getting in bed with heating pads like early that sounds like me yeah (laughs) I'm not even pregnant I'm just 30 (laughs) yeah um so one of my new year's resolutions this year was I want to I'm using my letterbox more, and I want to watch more movies that I haven't seen. I want to do less rewatching. So I'm trying to watch one new movie for every day of the year. So not necessarily watching a new movie every day of the year, but by the time the year is over, oh, you to have seen three, okay. 365 new movies. I was like, no, right? That's yeah. too hard. No, I don't want to watch one like every day. There are days that just get too jam-packed. I don't need to like, fit them in there. And but, you don't want to like have that sort of like, oh, God, I have to watch this. Yeah, so I'm instead, like, I had a day off the other day, and there were some movies I wanted to catch on catch up on so there were like three movies that i watched in a day mm-hmm. um and then also there's like i do have a lot of blind spots we talked about this on the last episode like i had never seen die hard um so like i have some blind spots and then especially as a horror fan um like i've seen all the big important horror movies but there are some things like that once you get into the horror fandom there's like one of the movies i watched was blackula and like that's definitely a more well-regarded mm-hmm. um like especially black exploitation movie in the horror genre and it's definitely something like it's really hard for me to go, like, pre-70s, like, just as a film. I think because, you know, just getting into film in the 90s and, like, kind of trying to catch up on everything then. And, like, really, I, like, especially when I got into movies, I became very obsessed with the, that era. Like, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, like, these very relevant pop culture mm-hmm. icons. So that's kind of what I grew up watching. Or even, like, a little older than them, like, um, Linklater... Um, or, um, who's the one who did Almost Famous? Cameron Crowe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, stuff like that. James Cameron? No. No, James Cameron's Aliens, Terminator. Oh. I think Cameron Crowe's Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, go, like, so trying to go back and catch up on some of, like, the, the older stuff. So, Blackula was one I watched. Um, I understand why it's so well regarded. It's very well done. Um, it's obvious, it's obviously a black exploitation movie. I mean, they, you know... They take this uh, con- like story and make it more contemporary, and um, the whole movie is all African American actors. Um, but it's super creepy. The score is fantastic. Um, I love like the updated setting. I love the way that they um, like introduce. There's like numerous scenes where they're just like in a club, and there's like funk and like um, like kind of jazz numbers, and I really really enjoyed it. Uh, so and um, Shutter just announced that they're doing that documentary uh, Horror Noir, which is all about black exploitation, and it's uh, produced by Jordan Peele. So I'm oh, really yeah. yeah I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah, so I'm trying to what I'm trying to do is watch one older movie, one newer movie, so that I'm staying I'm still staying updated. 
but I'm still catching up on older things. Um, to stay like kind of in that vein, I also watched Black Klansman, which came out last year. Um, it's getting like a lot of awards buzz. Spike Lee made it, uh, starring John David Washington and Adam Driver. It's like loosely based on a true story about um, a black police officer, and I believe like the seventies, um, yeah, like seventies era, who kind of infiltrated the KKK. Really, really good. Um, and Spike Lee does a fantastic job because it is a super intense, like very serious subject matter and he does like bring a certain amount of levity into it like there is a lot of comedy in it um john david washington is the lead and he does a great job and then adam driver also does a really good job he's like the supporting character he plays his partner who is a jewish police officer so at first he's like not really invested in this idea um but once he becomes like kind of aware of like the kkk like the kkk it's not just against like it's not just against african americans like they hate jews too like they hate just minorities in general Adam Driver gets kind of bought in. Um, but it does a really good job of balancing, like, humor with seriousness because there will be moments where you're actually, like, laughing out loud and then the next moment it's this super, like, gut-wrenching scene where they're talking about, you know, like, burning crosses as it's, like, as casual as, like, watching football on a Sunday. Um, and then the end has a lot of, like, scenes from kind of more modern political turmoil um mostly charlottesville uh so it's rough it's a rough watch like especially at the end because it seems like you watch it and you're like you know the movie is super 70s like and it's meant to be you know like it's got the afros it's got the they have they're wearing like golden picks around their neck or their um around their necks and uh then like to have it kind of flash forward and you're like oh it's still really relevant and that's super upsetting so it's a very powerful movie um definitely worth checking out because like when i seen the trailers it it definitely plays more like a comedy and then you watch it and you kind of realize why it's getting all this like award buzz um i also watched hell or high water which came out two years ago have you seen this it's on netflix now chris pine chris pine ben foster um jeff bridges directed by david mckenzie who's a scottish um director but written by taylor sheridan who's gone on to he wrote um Wind River, which came out last year with Jeremy Renner, which I thought was really good. Super good. Holy crap. Everyone in it was so good. Yeah, Taylor Sheridan was in, he was in Sons of Anarchy as um, the sheriff. Yeah, he's weirdly an actor in Veronica Mars who plays a bad guy in V-Mars. Yeah, yeah. There's um, Danny. Yeah, so just, like, really blew me away with the performances. Everyone in it, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges, all three of them were just absolutely amazing. Um, and it's a very low-key movie just about these two brothers who are Robin Banks and the this Texas sheriff or ranger who's, like, kind of coming after him. But just, like, it's one of those movies that is carried on the shoulders of the actors. And I, I think Chris Pine is definitely an actor who gets overlooked a lot because he's so attractive. It's an unfortunate thing that happens. That and he's one of the Chris's. Yeah, and he's one of the Chris's. So it's an unfortunate thing that happens to, like, really attractive actors in our era or I really feel since Hollywood has become a thing, is they kind of get overlooked because it's like they're so attractive. And so sometimes their acting chops aren't really held up as, as high as they Fine should be. is a national treasure. He can sing. He can act. He can be funny. He can be serious. He's an action star. He's a drama star. Like, he's perfect. He's so good. He's, he's really good in it. Ben Foster, I think, is super just underappreciated as an actor. He was fantastic in it. Um, and then, of course, Jeff Bridges, and everyone loves Jeff Bridges and knows Jeff Bridges, so. Um, Everybody knows <clears throat> Jeff Bridges. Yeah, he's the dude. As our, I mean, 
We have a, a close association with the Big Lebowski more than most. We have two friends who are mildly obsessed with it. So mildly? We, yeah. Well, we end up watching it literally every time we all hang out we together. We watched the football game last night, and then I walked home, um, and we're watching at our friend uh, Derek and Gina's watch football. Um, because I have an aching, hurting body at 10 o'clock. I was like, I got to go home. I'm in a lot of pain. So I walked home because I lived down the street and not even time for me to feed my dogs and, you know, put on my pajamas. My husband walks through the door. I'm like, you're back. And he's like, they put on Big Lebowski. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, uh, it's a very good movie. I just never need to see it again. I've seen the first, um, hour. No, first half hour of that movie, probably 200 times. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Uh, no, not at like, all. Like, legit, at least that many times. It's ridiculous. Um, I also watched, so speaking of, like, the classic movies that I hadn't seen, and I'm a huge fan of rom-coms, I watched When Harry Met Sally. So good. Holy shit, that movie's so good. That's so good. I love the pacing of it. I love the, like, how it picks up just every couple of years. And, mm-hmm. like, at first, it, I mean, it's these two people who, like, barely know each other in college. They bump into each other in New York. They become friends they become actively best friends they become like almost like just reliant on each other um yeah rob reiner directed Who's it amazing yeah I absolutely love i him. love rob reiner too um he just has something about the way he does like these kind of like very personal like it's these personal relationships um yeah he's a master i mean princess bride is one of my top Princess Bride and Stand By Me are both so good. Um, And this is just another one that I... And I mean, it's based on Nora Ephron novel. And she Um, wrote it, too. She did write the movie. Mm -hmm. And, like, the dialogue is so great because it is... So, like, when you... It's funny because people always kind of make fun of the 90s for this um, very, like, you know... um, Teen dramas were really the first ones that started doing it, like, honestly, like Dawson's Creek, where these teenagers would be speaking in these ways, and everyone's like, no one talks like that, where it's, like, very fast, and it's, like, kind of pop culture references, and, and like, they have, like, beats, you know, almost that they're hitting back and forth, and this dialogue is just like that. Like, it's seriously, it's realistic, like, it's not, like, it's not... They're adults, not Yeah, teenagers. they're adults, but they're also not, like, you know, they're not the Gilmore Girls. Like, they're not, like, that far-reaching. But, like, the way they talk to each other is so fast-paced and so, like, up, like, just smart and witty. And, like, it's... It, I don't know. It's it's a really brilliant movie. Like, I definitely understand why it's as famous as it is, why it holds, like, as well as it does. It's, it's really good. I'm not even really a big Billy Crystal fan, but I loved him in it. I loved Meg Ryan in it. Holy crap, she's fantastic. Like, totally understand why she was famous all the way through, uh-huh. like, you know, up until the 2000s, pretty much. Yeah. Um, she does a really good job about, I mean, sort of being the ideal woman. Like, she's pretty, but not in, like, in try-too-hard way. She's funny. She's relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, she's witty. She's a little inappropriate. She's vulnerable. Yeah. Like, she's very real. Like, yeah. she feels like a real person. Um, I would definitely say, like, Billy Crystal in this feels like... What's great, though, is, like, Billy Crystal kind of, like, he's feels like less of a real person up until his... And this happens very early in the movie, his divorce. And then, like, he kind of crumbles a little bit as a character. And, like, I think... 
it makes him more relatable and more realistic too but he has to have like this moment of clarity i don't know it was fantastic i absolutely loved it um it was one of those ones that i just watched and i was like how have i not seen this before like i will definitely rewatch it because i just super enjoyed everything about it not just like the performances and the writing but like the way it's shot the way like the pacing is fantastic it feel like you you just like you can feel the seasons in every scene like i just thought it was so well done um, and then the last one I'll talk about real quick is on Netflix, there's this movie that just came out called Elementary, which um, it's subtitles The Blacksmith and the Devil. If you get a chance, check it out. It's, it's a little long, but it's this really cool, like, you don't see movies like this anymore. It's a European, like, fairy tale. And I think the movie is, like, uh, it's not Estonian, but it's definitely somewhere in, like, Eastern Europe. Um, definitely worth checking out because it gets, like, super old school like like very old school full on actual demons that look like demons right like they have the traditional like horns and tail and cloven hooves and like everything like that and it's based on this old european fairy tale and i ended up like it starts off really weird and then i Is just ended up really loving spanish it. so it's it's, it's uh, dubbed over Oh, so okay. it is a little off-putting because it's they're speaking dubbed. English over it. If I had the choice, I would probably just watch it with subtitles because I think it would match up better. But these are all um, Spanish. It's a Spanish director. Okay, so uh-huh. yeah. Um, Spain. But, okay, oh, Spain? Uh-huh. Okay, so yeah, definitely European. Yeah, yeah so cool. it's they're, all the actors are from Spain. Cool, so yeah, I mean, I, it, and it feels European, but definitely worth checking out, and it kind of slipped under the radar, like not a lot of... Um, not a lot of like love for it. Netflix wasn't promoting it a lot. I saw someone post about it in um, the Shockwaves group on Facebook and ended up giving it a chance. So I would definitely check that one out too if you're looking to kind of like branch out your horror. Um, kind of, yeah, and it kind of feels like <clears throat> The Witch a little bit, but it gets like way more like whereas the witch was like about the things happening off screen like this is not afraid to be like no that's literally satan like here is satan introduced in in this scene so well i'll have to watch it because i think part of my issues with the witch and why i didn't love it is so unbelievably hyped up to me before i saw it Mm -hmm. and so it's really really hard not to go into those films disappointed and although i liked the witch um i didn't leave it going like spectacular film great one of the best of the year that just wasn't me and i like movies like that so i'd be interested to see um i've shifted i try not to even watch trailers i've gone like the over it came way me too like i have got so much where i'm like i don't want to see a trailer because like i really want to be surprised about this and like so there are certain movies that I don't mind seeing trailers for. Like, I think Avengers, I'm just, like, I get so, like, hyped about it and nothing can ruin that movie for me. Like, I know going in, like, it doesn't matter what they show me. But, like, horror movies specifically, I'm like, mm-hmm. don't show me a trailer. I don't want to know. Too many times am I seeing the final fucking scene of that movie in a trailer, which drives me fucking crazy. Like, I'm really Or just the try- best scare. Or the or, best scare, yeah. Like, which- even in Halloween, the... Halloween 2018, the closet scene. That is... It makes me so mad because if in the movie itself, I would have never thought he was in the closet. But because I saw it in the trailer, I knew that's where he was. And it made me so mad because then I was like, well, fuck. I know what's going to happen. That is the scene that made me decide I don't want to watch trailers. Because it would have been so much more effective. Mm -hmm. And even like... So there's one little one that I'll call back. Like I said, I don't mind watching superhero stuff, but... Going back to Captain America Civil War, I still maintain if they had held on to the Spider-Man secret and not revealed him in the trailer, I think the, like 
the reaction in a theater of Spider-Man popping up in that movie with no one knowing would have been, like, thunderous. So I do think there are certain things about the trailers that... Yeah, I'm just trying to stay away from them now. Like like you said, horror movies especially because mm-hmm. so many times the one of the biggest scares in the movie and you see it. So as soon as you start to see that setting and that framework set like, up oh, in I the movie, even like I love The Conjuring, but like that trailer and it's a super effective trailer with the clapping. Yeah, and then that trailer is probably what made that movie as big as it was. So I understand why they do it, but I'm already sold on The Conjuring. You don't need to convince me to go see a horror movie. Horror trailer movie trailers are for people who... You know, maybe see them occasionally mm-hmm. or, you know, watch some and not others. Probably going to watch it no matter what. Yeah. So I don't so, need to know. I agree. I think I'm staying away from horror movie trailers. Yeah. I don't care about comic book stuff. Like, I can watch those trailers, yeah. whatever. Or drama. Like, but I think horror movie where, like, half the fun is from the jump scare or the scare. I got to yeah. stay away from it now. Yeah. I think it comes down to, do I need to see the trailer to decide if I'm going to watch it? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? If the answer is no, I pr- want to watch it regardless, then I'm not going to watch the trailer. Good call. Or try not to. I'm on board that train. Because even, like, the happy um, Death Day to You trailer, like, I'm annoyed that I've seen it. Like, I'm trying to forget it. I'm hoping if I, like, can ignore it. I've seen it, like, three times now on accident. And I'm yeah. like, fuck, go away. And even, like, my husband's like, oh, that looks like blah, blah. I'm like, stop talking. Let's not talk about it. I want it to disappear from my brain. Yep. So. I, I agree. Um, so I don't think I watched any movies at all. I watched, so the only TV I consumed, I watched Marvel's Runaways. So the second season dropped very end of November. We talked about it last year when the first season came out. It's a Hulu original series um, based on a Marvel comic book about um, a group of kids who... Their parents are part of this organization called Pride, so they've been in and out of their lives, um, but they're not necessarily, they're all, the, all the kids are kind of different. They don't necessarily run in the same crowd. They kind of find out that their parents are like villains, mm-hmm. um, and they sort of bind together um, to deal with that, to rebel against, rebel against it, to you know tell their parents that they don't support what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. So, first season, loved it. So great. Um, It's by Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. Um, Josh Schwartz is most famous for the OC. Um, Stephanie Savage did a lot of work on Degrassi, Next mm -hmm. Generation. Which uh, So, that tandem team, right? She did Degrassi. Did she? Oh, no, she did. I think she's always just Gossip Girl. That's what I was thinking of. She did Gossip Girl. Yeah, that's where I Which Josh Schwartz also did. So, I guess I should say also hella famous for Gossip Girl. But, I mean, pretty much anything they've touched... Um, is just teen drama gold. Yep. Heart of Dixie's amazing. The Carrie Diaries was insanely oh, underrated. Yeah. That show is spectacular. Um, I will say right now, I haven't watched the new Dynasty, and I think I like gravely misjudged it because when I first saw the trailers for it, I'm like, oh, this shit's gonna get canceled. This is gonna last like half a season, and it's like huge and doing super well and winning like Teen Choice Awards and stuff. And I'm like, what the hell? Dynasty is? Yes. Dynasty is like a big deal. People are loving it. Did not know that. Um, and so um, her and Josh Schwartz are both um, producers on it. Um, it's doing really well. It's a soap. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, anywho, if you're into that type of stuff, if you're a fan of the OC and Gossip Girl and any of that stuff, um, I think they're kind of the best at it. Oh, hell yeah. Um, watching <laughs> the Runaways, um, I'm just like, they... Josh Schwartz should make all teen dramas. Yeah, he just 
the oh, he's so good at crafting these like friendships mm-hmm. and like mixing the characters. Like it's never like these guys are friends with these guys, these guys are friends with these guys, and then occasionally they like have to run in together. Like these guys are all intertwined with each other very deeply. And I always just feel like his characters, him and Stephanie, the characters that they create are very realistic. Like Ryan said, like super diverse and interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I like loved about the OC is that the characters were annoying. And the Gossip Girl does this too. The characters have their flaws. Mm-hmm. They have their faults and they make obnoxious decisions, but they always stay true to who they've built up as a character. Where I think a lot of shows suffer from characters making decisions that they never would have made or doing things where you're like, okay, that doesn't make sense. And I never feel that with his shows. And it's just really well done. It's not so... I've gotten really burnt out on the superhero shows. I used to watch like Flash and Arrow and I watched all the Netflix ones and because I enjoy those universes. But often they just go into like an insane direction i mean we're only on season two so we'll see but so far they've done a really good job with the pacing a really good job intermixing the superhero power kind of unreal universe with real life la teenagers Mm -hmm. and so if you're a fan of teen dramas you have hulu definitely check it out i'm like six episodes into the new season and it's just as good as the first um and it's in a very much different setting because there's like a big finale in the first season yeah. which shifted where these characters could exist, really. So I'm very curious to see where they're going to take it. I love it, too, because, um, and Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage are both very good at this, too, where they make your central protagonists are like usually the kids, the adolescents, but also the adults always have a major play in all of the shows they've made oc gossip girl like the adults are very like important characters too definitely gossip girl they kind of fade away um Mm -hmm. like rufus like kind of goes nowhere but like oc sandy is like sandy kirsten are just as important as like your main characters and in this show they're integral to the show like the parents of these characters and James Marsters, who played Spike and Buffy, and Julian McMahon, who I, I mean, uh, he was a nip tuck, but also I just love him. I think he's a fantastic actor, and he plays the best bad guy, and, and he's, he's so the fucking handsome. bad guy. He is very handsome. So yeah. handsome. Um, and charming. And he plays the bad guy on the show, so I love that. And just, like, the fact that some of these characters have, like, these outrageous special abilities, but they manage to still stay, like, very grounded in this show... And there's, like, literally magic in dinosaurs. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, it's it's super well done. Definitely worth, worth, like, I agree, definitely worth checking out. Um, and I've been, what's nice is they dropped the whole season on Hulu. I did not binge it. I decided to take my time, just kind of enjoy it, because I don't want to burn out on it. So I just kind of have been watching, like, an episode here or there. Yeah. So did that. Um, I've... Uh... Ryan talked a little bit about his resolution. So mine are kind of just extensions of the ones I made last year. So last year I made a resolution to read more. Um, and I did that. I I think I read a little bit more. But when I went back over the year, I know I at least read 14 books. Which, when I said 14, I'm like, God, I felt like I read so much more than that. But, I mean, a little over a book a month. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, and so this year I want to try and shoot for two. Um, so far in January, I've already read two, so All right. I'm good to go. Um, 
So I'm Brian and I are both working our way through Harry Potter, which we did not plan. Nope. Um, I am re reading it with my friend Kayla. And so we're keeping up and I just finished book three this, this like last week. Um, and so now I'm kind of, I have to wait till four cause she's a little bit behind. Um, but which is good cause it means I can get other stuff in and I'm not just like powering through, powering through it yeah. cause it gets hard. But, um, so I read book three, which is prisoner of Azkaban and I kind of had like a self-reflection after reading this. It's always been the book that I've said is my favorite. Uh-huh. Sirius Black is my favorite character. Uh-huh. I absolutely adore Lupin. Um, I, love I love the Lupin introduction so of them. I love, I've always loved um, the characters in this. And I think, and I didn't realize until now rereading it, I love this one because it's the only one that really plays out like a freaking mystery novel. Yeah. Because you start off and you've got this professor you don't really know that much about. You've got this, like, escaped prisoner who you've been, you're slowly getting information about and you're realizing, Harry's realizing he's connected to him in some way. And then you have a crazy big-ass reveal in the end. And I find myself with this rereading very impatient with it and getting very frustrated with the because characters because I end. wanted to get to yeah. the end. Um, which was a little disappointing. Um because I was like, fuck, I love this book. And I still do. And the ending is still f- spectacular. The third act in that movie and all the crazy tiny little pieces that have to come together. So well written. Always loved how well planned out these novels were from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And this, specifically this novel, not even just in the series, sets up things that were going to come into play in later books. And then the time, there's like little tiny things that get brought up. With, like, just a little passive mention. But if you already know about it, like, they make a mention and they're, like, why they're on the train, that Scabbers is, like, missing a toe. And then it's never mentioned again. And then that's, like, a big part of the reveal in the end. I'm like, fuck, you're so good. Yeah. I just love that. And maybe it's because I watched Pretty Little Liars for, like, ten years of my life where nothing was planned out. And they even admit to that, that they just uh, play as they go along. And it's like, that's such bad storytelling. J.K. Rowling's a fucking master. And there's a reason why Harry Potter came out in the goddamn 90s. And if you go in a Hot Topic or Box Lunch, half the shit in there is Harry Potter. Yep. It is timeless. Yeah. And it does. It transcends generations. We're going to continue to bug you guys and talk about Harry Potter probably for the next couple months until we finish also, it. Also, that movie's um, the closest to a horror movie because, I mean, you have this crazed killer. He's like breaking into the castle. There's a fucking werewolf in it. I haven't seen the movie in fucking years. Oh, yeah. And like they sing something wicked this way comes. Like the whole thing, you're like, this is super horror vibes. Uh, yeah. No, There's I, like a haunted house. Yeah, the Shrieking yeah. Shack. Shrieking Shack. Jack, I love, yeah, it's one of my favorites, absolutely. But, and I just love series. And Gary Oldman is yeah. fucking fantastic. But yeah, I dev- did definitely find myself being impatient with it when Harry would be like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you dummy. That's serious. That's your godfather. You don't say that about him. Yeah, I forgot too, because just rereading it, like how terrified and like afraid of him he is. And then yeah. it's like, if on like Instantly so fast, switches, like, like I want to live with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely, and that's the the hard part. Like, I always think about that with the movie Signs and Night Shyamalan. Like, his movies are hard to rewatch. Um, I think some are easier than others, but I absolutely, I thought Signs is a spectacular first watch movie. Um, oh, oh, I like, agree. Like spectacular. Yeah. I saw them in theaters, and they react seeing that movie in theaters. You're just like, holy shit! Like everybody's feet are up in their chairs, like crazy. But it has no rewatchability. I agree. Once you I know, can't. you can't watch it. 
it just seems silly almost i think um i mean six cents i think and unbreakable are his most rewatchable yeah. and movies. even six cents is hard but you can like look for things and stuff like yeah, that. yeah and six cents too like the twist is cool and once you see it you're like oh okay like mm-hmm. but it doesn't ruin the movie like right. it doesn't really change your experience like the scares like yeah. going into it like the scares are still there yeah. and like the build-up to those scares is still effective so it's yeah. it's different um, and then I finished, I know I talked about Lisa Jewell, this, um, author, mystery author I kind of discovered. Um, she wrote Then She Was Gone, which I think is one of the best, like, Gone Girl-esque, like, I'm, I mean, this isn't an untrustworthy, untrustworthy narrator storyline. She's not doing that, but, um, there's, like, a lot of these that are just so mediocre um and she's exceptional and keeps it very interesting all the way through i absolutely adored then she was gone so i went back and read one of her older books called the third wife and it was uh not as good but barely um really spectacular heard the way she tells stories and breaks it up the pacing's exceptional um but this one you heard from multiple people in a family um it's about um a man who gets married um, to his third wife. He, his first wife he has two, two kids with. He gets married again and has three kids. And then shortly after he gets married to this woman and she by, dies um, accidentally. And that's known 100%. You know reading the book she really didn't die from any outside effects. It's a freak accident. But you start realizing and like the family starts talking and understanding because he, this guy has, they go on vacation together and they, they seemingly have a really great broken family and they figured it out and they've worked it out. But then you start hearing from the different kids and the ones that are older and you hear from him and you hear from, um, in the past from his wife and things that were happening to her before she died. And you start going like, oh my God, like it's really just about family dynamic and how, you can be so convinced that everybody feels one way and thinks one way and what everybody's individually thinking really could be something completely different. Um, so there's also like a mystery of this stranger that comes in and you don't, the whole time I'm like, well, you know she didn't kill her, but how is she involved and why are they doing this stuff? And it's just really great. Um, I'm like super hooked to her writing style and I think she has like five other books, so oh, I'm sure nice. I'll be powering through those good it's always nice when you find an author and you love a book and you're like oh you've written six other books yeah that's how it was when i read gone girl i was like you've written three books before this awesome Uh, yeah um cool yeah so the movie we are watching or we watched this week was happy birthday to me from 1981 it was nice it's been a while since we've had a big group of people get together to watch one um and we managed to get like fucking i think there were 10 of us there eight sure i don't know a lot of us um so we had a pretty big group and what was cool was um it was a good movie to do it with yeah everyone was like super into it um and like really trying to like figure out who the killer was Um, yeah i think this is a great movie for a group oh absolutely yeah and not because it's like so ridiculous that you'd be bored watching it alone no 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 no, it's just really over the top and super wonky and weird, but still interesting. Mm-hmm. And so you're going like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Are you serious? Like, what does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. So, oh yeah, definitely I think we're all, like, Yeah, like, everyone, it. like, afterwards, even, like, you know, people who, some of our friends who aren't, like, necessarily super into horror movies were like, that was fun. Like, that yeah, was a really was good, good movie. Um, so the synopsis is huge. 
Virginia Wainwright is a spirited young woman who has returned to a private school, having survived a deadly accident <laughs> and regenerative brain surgery. She is proud that she belongs to the top ten, the school's inner circle with the best students, and attempts to resume a normal life. But her friends are falling prey to a grueling series of murders, and soon there will be no one left to attend her 18th birthday party. Could it be her? Striving to rekindle the memory of her nightmarish accident, Virginia suffers from memory loss and traumatic blackouts. We soon learn the horrible truth behind her accident and what is going on before her birthday party. Um, yeah, I mean, that lays it right out there for you. Yeah. And it so- I know it sounds like a soap. It feels like a soap. It does. Um, it definitely so feels so much so melodrama. Soap. Yeah. And also just like, ridiculous like ridiculous story like mm-hmm. just like like it says she got into an accident and they literally did like this she like, died and they like yeah. did something to her brain it's like a experimental like surgery that they did like there's literally a part where they're talking about like salamanders like they got the idea from mm-hmm. when a salamander's tail comes off and like there's like this electric field in your body and like that she her brain has that electric field it it's a lot of like mumbo jumbo like science mumbo jumbo but it's fun it is it's very fun and also like it it like there's so much of this movie that these weird plot lines and stories are thrown in to like make you veer in different directions of who you think the killer might be um so it it sounds ridiculous yeah it really does and this sounds much more b movie than it is because it's it doesn't feel like that. no you know going into it when you watch it like this was like a more high profile film it definitely wasn't like a low nobody saw this like no this it's was not camp like, at no. all yeah yeah um it just seems silly when you read about it and i was reading some of the trivia where it was talking about how um multiple endings like it was always assumed that multiple endings were written that's not true multiple endings weren't written um they did rewrite it um at one point but they just didn't have the ending in the script and so they shot the whole film, and then they shot the ending last because they wanted to keep it a surprise as as long as they could. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I think that's the smartest way to go because it keeps the actors on their toes, too. And, like, you can't subliminally act a certain way because you know that no. your character's motivation is different. Um, came out in 1981, May 15th. It is um, one of our favorites, Canadian. Uh, those Canadians just really know how to make a slasher movie. They do. It's the same producers as um, 81's My Bloody Valentine um, or 80's. Yeah, their names are uh, Andre Link and John Dunning. Yeah, My Bloody Valentine was 81, too. Yeah. Um, so same producers. Um, this was filmed in Quebec. Um, if I, a few of the characters have, you know, French accents, it's definitely, they have very French names. Yeah, um, it's so very, it's definitely French Canadian. Yeah, super French sure. Canadian. Um, we're on that side of Canada. Yes. This is not like Vancouver. Uh, in Canadian dollars, it cost about 3.5 mil. That's the estimated. And then it ended up making 10.6 million. So yeah. very successful. Yeah. Um, B had a, found a piece of trivia. It was actually up until Porky's came out. It was the highest grossing Canadian film. Um, and Porky's came out later or the the year after and then um usurped it but uh yeah and which is funny because porky's was directed by black christmas director yeah uh bob clark right Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah but uh so like we discussed in the last episode too you know you have to usually double your budget so this on such a small budget it it definitely made you know like five million dollars which for 1981 on a low budget slash movie is very successful Mm -hmm. the reception i mean 
is mixed. I mean, New York Times said it was a ripoff of Friday the 13th and Prom Night. I definitely see some of the Prom Night vibes for sure. I see none of the Friday. Um, as soon as I read that Friday quote, vibes. I was like, I thought the same thing. I was like, Prom Night, yeah. Yeah. But Friday, um, And no. I just watched Prom Night, so I de- like recently. Um, and so I definitely see that a little bit more, um, especially like the dynamic between the kids, that kind of in like the revenge stuff. I'll say this right now. Night. I might get some slack. I like this more than Prom Night. Yeah. Like, I just found myself not really caring. Yeah, for I don't it. love Prom Night. It's fine. Um, but that we'll re- see how I feel after we dissect it. But that remake, though. Yeah. Britney but, Snow. But that remake. <laughs> Britney Snow. Um, uh, Variety wrote that it gets dumber and dumber until the fitful finale, which I think seems like a non-horror fan reviewing this film. Because yeah. Because it does get more ridiculous. Yeah, it definitely gets more sure. outrageous. It gets more outrageous. I don't but think it's dumber, though, no. at all. Um, it just... Yeah, just you go, wait, what? Wait, what? I think it makes it more fun. Um, But All Movie, I don't know who that is, gave it a mixed review saying it stands out from Slasher Movie Pick of the early 80s because it pushes all the genre elements to absurd heights, which I think is absolutely correct. Plays with a lot of different um, things that were going on. It could be psychological. It could be, you know, the father. It could be the ex-lover. It could be, you know, it's so, like, what could it be? It could be? be possession. Yeah, it could be possession. Um, the murderous plot twists and especially the last-minute revelations that are all dished up in the final reel don't just deny credibility. They outright defy it. Um, so, you know, it's I like looking at these and seeing... Uh, Sort of what they said, oftentimes when they say something good, you're usually like, yeah, that's true. And then when they say something like, there's a Friday the 13th, you're like, well, okay, you haven't really seen that many movies. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely something that shows, too, because we've pulled, we've been able to find, like, while doing this, like, we'll get quotes sometimes from, like, Bloody Disgusting or, or things like that. And, like, those are usually, even if they're more negative reviews like they're at least we can usually like see the line of thinking in those reviews because we understand that those people like heavily dissect horror movies a lot um so uh, uh, like you know a new york times writer in the 80s comparing this to friday the 13th like probably obviously hasn't seen a lot of slasher movies because to draw a correlation from this to friday like man friday is way 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 down on my list of like similar to happy birthday to me movies. except like the only thing i could see is like the like kind of you know um set pieces for kills is i guess yeah. similar but other than that like or like the group i mean this was very gruesome it was definitely cut it was cut a ton i don't believe an uncut version really does exist i think it got cut so early i might be wrong about that but everything i was reading made it seem like it truly was like they had many they had to submit it to the MPAA yeah. multiple times. Yeah, and you can tell um, there's a lot of like yeah. restraint in the kills that mm-hmm. like you can because there's some kills that like when they go into the kill scene you're like that's brutal or the showing the aftermath you're like holy shit that was bloody but like you don't see the actual act of. Yeah, I guess it was kind of confusing the trivia piece I read. So, um, I'm not sure what they're referencing if it's this movie or or if it was like a convention but they're saying um, according to an interview with one of the producers john at the terror trap so i think maybe that's where he was interviewed this yeah. is like trivia is worded kind of weird but i guess the special effects um expert um and the director were literally just splashing fake blood like everywhere it's getting all over the crew and all over the camera lens and he's just like throwing 
way too much blood around. You can see that um, in that last, like, yeah. that, that poker kill. And, yeah, yeah, and the producer, like, had to go and say, like, you need to, like, knock it off a little because we have to literally clean up the crew. Um, and so I guess the director got famous on the set for just slinging blood around. Cool. Like, yeah, and I was like, that's fun. Jaylee Thompson, blood slinger. Yeah. Um, this movie, uh... So the poster's really famous. Even if you haven't seen the movie, um, you've definitely probably seen the poster. Uh, it's also famous for this movie for having like a thousand different taglines, and I'll, we'll read off some of them. But it's one of the deaths in the movie, which I think is cool. Um, so it's a scene where one of the characters is getting like a kebab um, like shoved down his throat. And so this is like the, the black masked glove shoving a kebab like down the throat. Now, Happy Birthday to me is very um, stylized and hand done. Um, the I in Birthday is a candle. And then the T in to me makes a knife, mm-hmm. um, like a cross knife. And so um, it's this, the poster has John will never eat um, shish, shish kebabs, kebabs again. again. But That's that, a horrible And also line. that character's name is not John. Um, <laughs> Great. There's nobody in the movie called John. Um, the shish kebab guy is steve so that's hilarious they just decided his name is going to be john um and then another tagline on the poster six of the most bizarre murders you will ever see except for there's eight um there's so many taglines i mean the poster it's it's cool um it's definitely not well designed um but i love like the highlight on um the character Steve's face with the kebab you can see the glove it's super uncomfortable like I didn't want to watch that kill like that's thinking of a kebab like stabbing you down the throat that's not fun no um but it's you know definitely messy and but it gets the point across it's fine it's funny um it's also a photograph because it's a still from the movie which is not common for that time yeah and it does feel like I do like it because it feels like super grindhousey. I was gonna say it feels like it should be in the restricted section of like the video store. Yeah, exactly. It does not feel. It, it doesn't really feel in line with any eighty slasher posters. No, because it's this decapitated head that's like bleeding from its neck piece and being held up by like the poker end of a shish kebab. Like I don't if, think it's decapitated. That's a shirt. That's just a shadow. Are you sure? Yeah, that's a shirt. It looks like sure. he's bleeding. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's oh, well, just the shadows of the light. Gotcha. Okay, well, yeah. it looks decapitated. I don't know. It, yeah, it's super grindhouse-y. It feel, like, literally, it looks like a trailer in that movie Grindhouse that Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino mm-hmm. did. It looks like it could be a trailer in that, like, has that feel to it. So, like you said, like, I can understand that it's not, like, very well designed, but it's super iconic. Yeah. Heart, like, and You're definitely stands it. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, some, I mean, there's oh, a million. Boy, I won't read all of them, but, like... RSVP or die. There's so many, and a lot where they say from the producers of My Bloody Valentine, obviously, because that's something, doesn't matter when um, that movie came out, that's going to sell it, obviously. My Bloody Valentine's the best. We all know this. And then there's all these, I guess, like, someone's having a party for the top ten, the senior class snobs. Before they get to celebrate, six of them will die in the most bizarre ways you'll ever see. Like, they were really trying to sell, like, the outrageous kills yeah. as the reason to see this movie. Yeah. Also, they did numerous, so it's not just John will never eat shish kebab again. There's also Stephen will never ride a motorcycle again. Greg will never lift again. But Stephen's not the one who rides the motorcycle and d- dies. That's the other guy. Weird. Um, Tien, or whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. 
I love Greg will never lift weights again. I just wish that was the tagline. That's just so good. (laughs) Yeah, that's. Pray you're not invited to the party. His name's at least right. What? Greg's. Yeah, Greg's is right. I guess they couldn't really put Etienne will never ride a motorcycle Yeah, again. I think they were just John is like a good solid. Yeah, good doesn't matter what country names. you're yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. You've got somebody named Too many John. taglines. None are super great. I hate generic taglines. Like, like you're invited to the bloodiest party of the year. Or RSVP or die. Yeah. RSVP or die is like a, a Goosebumps That's a Goosebumps title. book. Yeah. yeah. That's like not, 100% a Goosebumps book. It's not fucking a, a tagline for your movie. Uh, no sequels. It doesn't really set up for a sequel you don't need a sequel from it i you i don't know how you would do a sequel to i'm a very movie. surprised it hasn't been remade though yeah. um, with how much they've tapped into like 80 like i could a hundred percent when like they were making all those 2000s movies uh-huh. like this is mean enough definitely like already and like gruesome enough they i mean they remade april fool's day um and this has moments where it feels like April Fool's Day. It does. It does have some legit... We kept looking at ourselves and going like, is this like an April Fool's Day situation? Are we in a cry wolf situation here? Yeah, partially because the whole time you're wondering, like, are people actually dying? But also partially you're wondering, or you're it's um, partially why it reminded me of April Fool's Day. The cast is fucking huge. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there like, who is this again? Because, I mean, literally it's the top ten. So it's her ten friends plus ancillary characters. So there's, like, her dad, there's um, her therapist, or the school therapist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's dad and daddy. Well, oh god, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, so Jaylee Thompson directed um, 1914 to 2002. He was um, he directed a lot. Um, yeah, like literally movies through like from every decade. Yeah, every decade, yeah. almost until he died. Very established director. Um, most famous for the Guns of Navarone, which is a war film. Um, 1961, the film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including himself for Best Director. He did the last two Planet of the Eight movies. Um, in the of original the original, series. yeah. Yeah. So Conquest and Battle. I love that series. I love the new series. I love the old series. Um, Woman in a Dressing Gown from 1957. Um, he just did a ton of work. He worked with, like, certain actors for a long time. Um you could just tell, like, directing was just what he loved to do. Mm-hmm. And, so and this is his only horror it. film. It's not his only horror film. It's his only slasher film. He made a few horror movies. Oh, yeah, he did. No, this he's very famous for doing um, Ten to Midnight with Charles Bronson. That was his other, Yes, like, he worked with Charles horror. Bronson a ton. Yeah, and Ten to Midnight is just recently got um, a Scream Factory release, I believe, and it's always been, like, one of those cult movies because it's, like, a crime horror movie. It's, like... It's just recently people have been, like, really catching on, like, this is kind of a horror movie. Um, very, like, very huge cult following on that one. Um, and I believe he worked with Charles Bronson on, like, I know, yeah, I saw movies. his like, other movies he worked with Bronson. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, really, um, you know, labor of love for this guy. Really a slavish director, which is fun to see. Um, it was, the cinematography was done by Miklos Lente, who... Um, did a variety of stuff, um, most famous for In the Praise of Older Woman, Agency, working on the TV show Night Heat. Um, the score was done by Bo Harwood, um, an American sound mixer, editor, engineer, supervisor, like veteran in the industry. Um, well, he worked with Cassavetes. Yes, okay. worked with Cassavetes almost exclusively in the 70s for all of his movies. Um, and then now he's been doing a lot of television, like, Oh, great television like Felicity and Six Feet Under, so super acclaimed. And Six Feet Under, spectacular sound, not just in the editing but in the score. Um, so I 
love this score. Yeah, it's Loved super it. great. Um, I know, like, we, I mean, if you listen to older episodes, score sometimes, like, doesn't always stick out for well, me. Well, we watch it together, too, so I got to, like, Yeah, so she got like, to nudge hey. me and, like, hey, look at this score. But, like, it is so old school Star Trek Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Like, it has that 50s, 60s era television score, and I fucking loved it. Like, I loved yeah, those, like, really great. heightened cues and mm-hmm. those kind of, like, just those, like, loud, those loud, like, noises that hit. I don't know. It just, like, there were definitely parts I was watching. And I was like, this sounds like a fight scene in Star Trek. Like, in the original Star Trek. Or this sounds like the scene in Twilight Zone where you get the reveal. Um, so, I yeah, I absolutely adored the the score for this movie. Uh, props to Bill Harwood. Yeah. Huge fucking cast. Melissa um, Sue Anderson uh, plays Virginia, or uh, colloquially Jenny Wainwright. Our, she's our final girl. Yeah, she played most famously Mary Ingalls in Little House on the Prairie, which our buddy Jeremy actually, while we were watching, like looked it up. He's like, "Dude, she played this. She played her. Like, what played her? Did this? Went back to playing her. So it was in the middle of it, right? Oh yeah, she did it during. She yeah, didn't take a break. Right, she didn't yeah. take a break. Yeah, she filmed was... this while she was on Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. Um, um, which uh, definitely, like, nowadays for us is very far removed at the time, though. And if you're, like, a pop culture, like, junkie like we are. Oh, God, I loved it was, that show it was as a kid. huge. It was massive. My mom Everybody loved that it. show. And so did yeah. my dad. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's one of those shows that people look back on. They're like, oh, Little House on no. the Prairie. Or, like, and, like, sometimes, you know, it gets that weird, stupid gender bias of, like, oh, that show's for girls. And my dad all the time was like, I love that show. It no, was great. That was a show, like, that was an event. You sat down yeah. and you watched that show with your family. Yep. Um, and then I ended up, like, growing up on the reruns of it. I loved that show. Uh, Glenn Ford is Dr. Faraday. Uh, um, very famous for his, he plays, um, he's in Superman, the original Superman, uh, Pocketful of Miracles, 1961, Gilda 46, The Courtship of Evody's Father from 1963, um, he was like that 60s, 70s era kind mm-hmm. of guy. Um, <laughs> where's the real dad? Is he on here? Do we re- include him? What's He's on uh, here somewhere. It's the other Wainwright, right? I don't know. Um, I was looking for him. There's Estelle. Oh, Howe Wainwright. He's right here. Lawrence Dane as Harold Howe Wainwright. So that's her father. He played, um, Braden in Scanners and he's Lieutenant Preston in Bride of Chucky. Okay. So there's this weird thing. Because we're American and also because, like, if you... I mean, you exist now in this era. So, like, as you know, daddy has become this thing that's, like, very over-sexualized. And it's become, like, this kind of, like, very sexual thing. Yeah, it's what you call, like, somebody who's really attractive and either your sexual partner, like, he's your daddy. Or it's also even become just a thing where you call somebody who's, like, the most attractive, like, the hottest, the best, the most, like... Like, that becomes their nickname. Like, oh, he's the daddy. Like, yeah. yeah. I literally, I might. Like, the Riverdale cast, like, that's, like, their thing. They argue about who's the most daddy. Yeah, and I have employees at work who, like, people will come in, they'll be like, mm, daddy. And I'm like, fuck, don't do that. But, like, it's this thing. It's, like, a uh-huh. cultural thing now. It's the norm. So, Melissa Sue Anderson, Virginia's character, or Virginia, calls her dad daddy. And so, of course, our group of friends fucking swarmed onto that real quick like it's inappropriate can't call your dad daddy and it became this huge topic conversation and there is this plot line in this movie because one of the endings originally may have been that she was possessed by her dead mother Mm -hmm. so there are some like kind of 
oblique sexual tones, overtones yeah. that are being played. So it does. There are some things that happen between the father and the daughter that are like just a little touchy feely. Yeah. Nothing like super no, I sexualized. Didn't think they always like, oh, that's what I'm like. Oh my god, you guys. The it's part. Not- I mean, it is a little weird when he like. The only weird part to me was like when he tries to tickle her to bed, and she's like 18 years old. Yeah. And I was like, and like the way he does it too. It's not like a playful thing. It's like it's a little weird, but. <laughs> and then we have fucking Glenn Ford, Dr. David Faraday, who is her therapist, but he <laughs> like, casually daddy. rocks yeah. this shirt that is fucking <laughs> open, open to his belly like, button. Yeah, it's like open to definitely his sternum. And he's like in his 60s uh-huh. easily. And he's wearing like a cardigan. Um, he's like a and- therapist slash like school or like he works with the police i don't know but he's like helping her with her like ptsd from and helping her memory and she goes to him all the time and so he became her daddy yeah and her dad is her dad so the whole movie our friends are like wait is that the dad or her daddy and i was like oh my god guys and so it became dad or daddy yeah it's like oh daddy's here yeah because he is like a fatherly character they both are actually a little sexual with her Uh and i think i I just think it was made to be that way. Well, also, I don't know. If it was really made to be that way, I think it's probably a big cultural thing. Even just from California to the East Coast. Like, you know how Tom Brady gets in all that shit for kissing his kids? Yeah. That's super normal in a lot of cultures. It's just here in California, we're like, what? No, you kiss somebody. That means you want to fuck them. Like... (laughs) Not necessarily, people. Um, And so I think a big this is not only Canadian, but it's French-Canadian. I think it's probably us as, like, it's 2019 and we're, like, Americans in California. I think it's probably a big cultural thing, too, and we read a little bit more into it. I was just having more fun with the fact that David and his, like, 70s porn mafia thing and, like... Oh, come tell me your problems. I'm like, oh, that's her daddy for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. that was her daddy. Um, then a ton of other – does anyone stand out? Did you highlight these people for a reason, I'm guessing? Um, I just uh, – Tracy Bergman as Ann Thomerson, who is our killer, um, is a massive soap star. So if any of you watch any soaps, um, she's Lauren and Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful, which exist in the same universe. Um, she's been on that show for like a thousand years. And then before that, she was Donna in Days of Our Lives. Um, oh. so Yeah, no, she's a huge soap star. Oh, very, okay. Yeah, I hella know famous. her. No, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. If you look her up, you've just... You've seen her on Soap Digest at the grocery store, even if you don't watch soap. Yeah, my mom was a big Days of Our Lives, yeah. so I grew up on that, so yeah. definitely recognize her. For no, sure. for sure. So, um, otherwise, I mean, I just, Mrs. Patterson is Mrs. Gray and the Changeling. I noted that because it's a horror film. Um, Matt Crave- Craven, who has, is Steve Maxwell. Oh, this guy? Yeah. Holy Which shit. He's like, recognize. he's one of those film everybody. Yeah, he's like, just he's been in everything. So he's a CIA director in X-Men First Class. He's in Crimson Tide and Jacob's Ladder and A Few Good Men. So he's another guy that you just yeah, have seen in 1,000 things. Yeah, Disturbia, yeah. Assault on Precinct yeah. 13, The Juror. He's yeah. in every, as soon as you see him, you're like, oh yeah. shit, oh, yeah, I recognize guy. this guy. Yeah. Okay. okay. So he plays Steve Maxwell, which is the... I think he was the, in Sharp yeah. Objects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, big, big guy. So those people, otherwise huge cast um those are people i just kind of pointed out because either we get yelled at if somebody's in a horror movie and we don't mention it they're like but why didn't you miss mention that they were mrs gray and the changeling and i'm like oh god sorry oh yeah god, yeah fine. like to point out the horror stuff yeah yeah so that's pretty much it there's a lot it's a big cast for the most part you're able to keep up with oh yeah two no luckily they all movie. look very different um or like 
you know, have very distinct personalities. Yeah. yeah, or like there is one guy who's American, and of course he's the creepiest dude there. What do they call him? The American Ghoul or something? Um, I don't know, but he was like the guy from Terror Train for sure. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. His character was like that. Um, Alfred, right? Yes, Alfred. Yeah. Um, it's a whodunit, and I mean, f- from the fucking get go, B and I both were like, "This giallo. feels like a giallo." Like it uses the black gloves, it uses the killer POV. Um, There's so like conspicuous the, I, trench coat. Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> much of it feels like a like a giallo movie. Um, and whodunit is usually a giallo like trend too. Like most giallo movies mm-hmm. are whodunits and like mystery movies. Um, and even, like, the more kind of, like, melodramatic soap opera-y, like, heightened reactions to things is very giallo. Um, the weirdo science fiction stuff is, I think, super, like, almost American, but, um, but other than that, I 100% was like, this is, like, there is no fucking way that J. Lee Thompson did not, like, watch some giallo movies and then... I mean, he's a British director, so he's probably have a little bit more exposure to that than a lot of American directors. Um, The killer, so the killer ends up being Anne. But she's disguised as Jenny the whole time. Yeah, with like a fucking Mission Impossible style mask, like latex mask. Yeah. Which I actually really appreciate in this film was set up well, as we were talking about that earlier. So there's a scene um, where, because this is like really a whodunit. It's trying to, it's throwing red herrings everywhere. It's oh, really yeah. trying to keep you guessing about who's the killer. So a lot of the time they're trying to make you think it's the character Alfred. And Jenny and Anne go into Alfred's house and there's a like decapitated Bernadette who is our first person to die. Because he's a taxidermist. And, yes. And he's a taxidermist and he's making, and then you think that he killed her, but then you're like, well, there's no way. It's a reveal so early. And then it comes out, it's like a prosthetic. He's making this hyper-realistic prosthetic. So having that in there wasn't just a great device to like make you think he was the killer, but then it plays in the end where Jen or Anne needed a mask to look like Jenny, and obviously she got that from Alfred. Yep. Um, so I, I really liked that about this movie. Yeah, it does a good job because it is pretty outlandish. Yeah. But it, and also this is the 80s. Like It's not like 2019 or 2018 fucking Mission Impossible Fallout comes out and they show this crazy prosthetic mask and you're like, well, with today's technology, like, maybe. If you have enough money, probably. Yeah, yeah but, like, this is 1981, you know? <clears throat> our but, high school students. Yeah, but it does a good job at, like, setting it up and she even explains, like, because there's one scene, um, I mean, our poster, Kill Boy, um, when she kills him, like, she, because, ex- like, they're about to have sex. Like, yeah. they're dipping fondue together and she explains that he was just, she didn't even wear the mask or... Did she say she didn't wear the mask? She either didn't wear it or... No, she just said it didn't even matter. He was so Because he was high. so high. So, yeah, like, it so does a good job it. of at least explaining those things instead mm-hmm. of just having you be like, oh, okay, I guess that works. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... it And then it very... Like, I will say, though, very, like... In the last 20 minutes, you basically find out there's, like, this weird kind of family drama between... <sighs> Um, we had a Scooby-Doo reveal for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, Jenny's dad, it, well, her mother was actually Anne's mother. No. It's yeah. not true. No. So Jenny's mom had an affair with Anne's father and got pregnant oh, with yes. Jenny. With Jenny. Okay. So Jenny's dad is not actually her dad. Um, and so... She keeps that, Jenny's mom keeps that a secret, has the baby, but I guess would never let Anne's father forget that that was her child, and it ruined 
her father's relationship and her mom left her. Yes, yeah. So Anne's mom leaves her dad and um, Jenny's mom obviously has a really hard time with it because we find out that she like... She resorts to drinking. She resorts to drinking. And not only that, but obviously she's very unhappy with her marriage. They allude to the fact that her husband is never around, never shows up to her daughter's birthday. He's like super loaded though. Very unreliable and she's like fucking loaded. And so... She ends up, that's the accident they get into because she drove over to the Thomerson place and was like, my daughter better be invited. And she wasn't invited to the party that was on her birthday because of what her mom had done. Right. And so her mom ends up dying in the car crash. Jenny gets out and she comes back to school and kind of gets to reinvent herself and becomes friends with these people. But we find out that that was all part of Anne's plan. She wanted her to become friends with her so she could seek revenge. Yeah, and it's it's it is another thing I really like about this movie. Like, so it's a pretty preposterous thing. Like the whole like this weird brain surgery, but like Anne is having these blackouts, and like the whole movie, like you are pretty much like up until the last like four minutes of the movie, you're like it's Anne. It's Anne. Yeah. or no, or it's, no Jenny. it's Jenny. And yeah. like you're thinking she's like the brain something went wrong in the brain surgery. She's blacking out, like she's forgetting these moments, and it makes it seem like she's blacking out. And you find out Anne just fucking chloroforms her all yeah. the fucking time. She fucking drugs her. Like and- all the time. Uh-huh. She always like makes sure she's near the scene of the death. And then just And then just fucking knocks her out. So I mean, she probably like got messed up brain all over the place because yeah. she keeps getting chloroformed. But I was like, oh my god, that's so amazing. So yeah, probably what happened is, because what's great about that too, because then you're like, oh god, they're trying to convince you that Anne was talking and acting like Jenny and nobody noticed. But it was only until she killed the person that she knocked out Jenny. So she was on, about to have sex with Steve and the kebabs or whatever his name was, and... And she knocked and Jenny out. Yeah. Jenny went, uh, got up, and then Anne knocked her out. And then as soon as she came back, she killed him. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't none of those weird that gets like tricky with. And I love how like I'm really trying to defend this like elaborate mask, but um, you know it doesn't get tricky with like oh, okay, so she disguised her voice. Nobody noticed that it was their friend. Yeah, Anne, it's not like not, she's like going around school pretending. No, to be it's her. literally it's, only to kill them. It's to That's get great. close enough to kill them. Yeah, yeah, like the only like realistically like the only time that's a little unconvincing is when she wears it at the very end of the movie for the reveal and her dad like doesn't realize you know it's not his daughter um no iconic weapon uh lots of knives again the very giallo thing to have like these switchblades and like these knives um eight kills which is pretty solid it starts off uh with bernadette so we're introduced bernadette she um she's our first character to go she's like leaving the school she's going to the bar that they all like somehow get into to hang out with the top 10 um and she runs in like the dean and then she um is chased by this killer and she is almost killed well she's it he's in the backseat of her car or she is in the backseat of her car she almost kills her and she almost manages to escape she like kicks the door open she fakes dead which was really smart Mm -hmm. like all of us watching were like oh shit finally like that's a really smart thing she fakes dead gets out then she runs in the arms of someone she recognizes that we don't see, but wearing the trench coat with the gloves. And, you know, she's like, oh, thank God. Like, we need to get help. And then um, very gruesome throat slashing. 
which right from the get-go I was excited about because you knew this movie was going to have some solid kills because it wasn't like one of those like draw the knife across your neck and some like blood comes out no it's like slit the throat throat opens up blood shoots out which apparently is like was cut at one point um, I think it was more, more blood in yeah. like the uncut version there's a decent amount in this one like it's it has like the spurt but um, definitely like let like sets the precedent for the movie of like okay we know what we're getting into here um from there we meet all of our main characters because we're introduced at like this bar scene they're all waiting for bernard they're waiting for a couple people to arrive bernadette is one of them um the other is alfred is not there yet who also i don't know how the fuck alfred is in this top 10 because they all seem to hate him and make no the the top 10 is all about academically how good they are it's not about like them being it's the top 10 but it's still interesting that they all choose to hang out with each other because it's a club like if you make it to the top 10 um you're smart enough to be in it so like we're introduced all these characters etienne who's like a super pervo creep yeah none of the plot actually really matters it's all just situations to Mm -hmm. like get these people to be either suspects because etienne's a subset uh sub suspect suspect alfred greg at one point no no not greg um steve no which one i don't know who you're talking about the one in the and maybe it is Steve. Was he the one in the church tower? No, that's, um, he doesn't die. Oh, well, he's a suspect at one yeah. point, too. Yeah, there's numerous suspects, including, like, of course, Ginny suspects herself. At one point, you think it that's could Rudy. be... That's Rudy. Rudy never dies. Oh, okay. You think like, it could be her a dad. Sus- a you, suspect. You think it could be the doctor. Yeah, you think it's dad, or daddy, or Rudy, or Alfred, or Etienne, or, um, you think it's, you never think it's Anne. Um, you think it's Jenny. Yeah, well, um, also because, like, Anne kind of fakes dead. Like, near the end of the movie, too. Because Anne comes over, yeah. and then Jenny has the blackout, and she comes to, and she's in the bathroom, and, like, Anne's dead in her bathtub, and she's like, there's lots of, like, weird flashbacks in this movie. Um, basically, the whole movie, it, it, like, it's interesting because there is a little, a little piece of it that feels a little bit dis- Final Destination in the sense that, like, the plot doesn't really matter. What you're doing is you're furthering the movie to set up these set pieces for these kills mm-hmm. um because the kills are cool yeah i really enjoyed them like etienne who is a super creep like we he follows jenny home one day he steals her fucking underwear which is so weird yeah. and creepy um and then like they go to his motocross race and he wins and she's like i just knew you'd win he's like yeah i had you close to my heart and he pulls her underwear out of his shirt which is fucking disgusting um and then you know we're in a panty stealer guy that wasn't what you did in high school? Definitely not. Um, no. Uh, and, ew. And, like, that's... I had a neighbor kid ask me one time if I he could have one of them. No, you didn't. I did. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, he uh, knocked on my door. The older I get, the more I'm just like, I understand why women think this way about men. he could have a pair of my underwear. Oh, my God. That's and so fucking And I said weird. no. I was, like, 12. You should have given them your mom's. You'd be like, here you go. Yeah. Um, fuck, man. That's awful. It's disgusting. It's Anyways, a thing. so like this is kind of our first like red herring. Like we think so. Etienne does that, and like Alfred's paying special attention to it, and like we know that he has feelings for Jenny, and he's like kind of stalking him. And Etienne later that night, it's pretty rad. He's like working on a motorbike, which by the way, um, B's husband Ben definitely informed us. He's like, no one would ever fucking work on their motorbike like that. Like he, the tires are running, and he has a scarf around his neck. He's like, you wouldn't wear a scarf if you're fucking <laughs> and tires. Shut up. The scarf goes in, and he's like, that's why you wouldn't wear that. Yeah. <laughs> so the killer grab. I 
love that the killer doesn't choke him out, nothing like that. He literally grabs the scarf and just throws it into the wheel. Yeah. And then it pulls on the throttle. Yeah. Um, and then he finally hits the kill switch. And I, again, this is a scene that was cut. Like, I'm sure there was a much more gruesome reveal. Yeah. We see, like, the side profile from behind like the tire. Blood. Yeah. Um, also, I do want to point out, because we skipped this scene, there is a fucking random scene where they just decide to jump this bridge like it's oh. something they all do in their cars yeah it's very fast and furious like. yeah like one of them has a trans am one of them has like what was the because they're running from like the a pub. bw golf or something yeah. like yeah they're running from the pub because they get kicked out and i don't they know decide, my husband knew what all the cars they were. decide to jump this bridge like what well, it's one of the what do they call those bridges the ones that open up i don't know what the name of it is I don't want to But it has it. to open up through the middle so that ships can pass through. Yeah. Um, I don't want to Google, like, opening bridge. I'm going to feel like an idiot. Um, but, so they're all jumping it, which is insane. Because you're just watching. This is a slasher, and we know it's a slasher. Someone's already been, like, had their throat slash, And we're watching these teens just, like, jump over this drawbridge. A drawbridge. That's what it is, right? I think so. Um, and they just have to, like, jump over it and... Again, Ben was like, this is the most realistic car uh, race scene I've ever seen in no, a movie. No, it's a bascule bridge. A drawbridge is only from oh, one, one side. side. okay. Or a swing bridge. Um, I don't think you should feel dumb for not knowing that. But, I didn't know but was Ben was uh, definitely a fan because the Trans Am definitely like, ru- gets ruined. Like the front bumper gets rumped off, or, uh, like ripped off. And he's like, yeah, this is the most realistic um, like thing I've seen from cars in a movie. Yeah. Uh, and I just had to point that out because it was fantastic. Like, all all of our friends were just, like, ecstatic. They're like, what is this movie? What's happening? This is, like, a crazy, like, weird action scene. Um, the next to die is Greg Hellman. Um, he is weightlifting this fucking scene, too. I loved it so much. And it's, it's like, you, again, it, like, you, it, you know it's, like, one of the top ten because Greg recognizes this person who walks into his house. He's like, hey, will you throw some more weights on? So the killer throws more weights on. And then he keeps adding weight. And the best part is, so Greg lifts it. And he's like, this is too heavy, man. It's too heavy. And the killer just starts to pull away the... Um, the bar that's... The, the, the bar that holds the weight up. And he's like, he's like, no, bring it back. Bring it back. And I'm just all of us are like, just put your arms backwards and let the weight drop to the ground. Or, like, you have the weights above your head slowly lower it to your chest nope this guy just decides greg decides to hold the weights up as the killer keeps adding weights to the bar and then and then the killer grabs a weight and walks over and drops it on his nuts yeah and causing greg to drop the bar onto his throat which kills him it was great it was fucking fantastic it's so good like greg the fact that he is a weightlifter and he just decides instead of letting the bar go behind his head which he could very easily do maybe he didn't know you could do that i don't know how anyone that feels like common sense i don't know weights are up you have two options they drop on your chest or you let them fall backwards yeah uh it's i mean the whole scene is fantastic he's wearing these little short shorts this red or this orange tank top Literally drops a weight on his balls to make him crush himself to death. Pretty good. It is very good. Um, Alfred is the next to go after, like, a long string of, like, backstory. Like, this is when we kind of find out a lot of, like, Jenny's backstory with her car crash and, like, the the weird brain surgery. Um, We get a lot of stuff. Like, her friends are – like, also her friends randomly, like, decide to fuck with her. One of them decides to play dead in the pool. And then also her friend fucking Rudy, like – 
brings her up to a bell tower and gets super weird and like cuts the church rope and everyone thinks he's dead because he's missing and there was blood on the rope and then you find out that he was also faking dead yeah, someone buried a, a skull in the fucking schoolyard yeah. and it was just an anatomy like a sc- from the anatomy class oh my god how we forget that scene there's this scene in the science class where the teacher is showing them how like electricity even if you're dead it can still like he has frog legs and he's touching these electric like wires to the legs to cause the nerves to act up in like the the legs still move and one of the kids it's rudy in the class is like messing with the teacher he's like turnly the static up on it so his hair is all standing up on edge and he's like at some point he finally goes why are all you laughing at me and then he realizes his hair standing up and he goes oh very funny rudy but what you forget is static electricity can be discharged and he goes and he like kind of boops him on the nose and there is this like cartoon graphic of a lightning bolt between his finger and Rudy's nose, which there is nothing like that in the whole rest of the movie. Um, I really feel like someone in post was just like, fuck it. Like, we're going to throw in this weird Looney Tunes lightning bolt. Um, so, yeah, Alfred is, he follows Jenny into the cemetery well, that's that, in her house, that's on her property where her mom is buried. Um, where she keeps pruning shears for the flowers. Yeah. Um, it's her garden. Yeah. Her mom's buried in the garden. That's what it is. Yeah, it's weird. That's um, not weird. They're it's rich. It's a little... I guess that's true. Um, maybe? I don't know. Are any of you rich? Let me know. Are your relatives no, buried on your property? Very common if you have a lot of property and you have a family home that you're buried on the property. Okay. I'll take your word for it. It's, it's still a little weird to me. Um, but Alfred goes to give her a rose. He like, and again, red herring, he's got gloves on. Um, and he goes, he like reaches into a, his jacket, which looks similar to the trench coat. And he's, it's just a flower. It's just a flower. It's he was going to give. It's just a rose. Um, and she stabs him right in the like gut with the pruning shears. Um, next is Steve. And that is our, again, our poster boy. They're, they're literally eating. Oh, and this is one of the best lines in the movie. So they're eating fondue, and they start making out next to a fire. Uh-huh. And Steve just looks up at her, and he goes, my ass is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> my ass is burning, or something like that. He de- yeah. Um, and then she stabs Steve in the mouth, which, again, it was another, like, brutal kill. Uh, we get the flashback of her mom. Like, she finally remembers, like, the full everything of, like, her mom trying to, like, drive home, go over this bridge. What did we find out it was called? A something bridge? We already forgot. Um, I don't know. Some word bastule or something i don't know and they crash into like the river below and that's how her mom died um so jenny's dad is out of town it's almost her birthday a beautiful gift i just found a bascule bridge gif and it's absolutely perfect yeah it looks like it was made in like windows 94 yeah it's beautiful i love it if you go to the wikipedia page for a bascule bridge you'll see the gif as the main um, image and and it says this animation shows the mus- movement of a double leaf bascule which is exactly the type of bridge we are talking about the more you know keep screaming in bridges i just made a rainbow you just couldn't see it um so yeah her dad's gone she calls dr david faraday to her house who she beats to death with a coal holder yeah um pretty brutal actually there's literally skull fragments on the ground i'm guessing this is when the director had to be told to tone down because there's fucking blood everywhere yeah there's random scenes of like just a wall and then blood blood. splashing all over the wall yeah maybe some more blood i don't know i mean i think hadn't 
isn't it head injuries like you bleed the most even if it's not even that severe probably right i think that's there's like a couple things that you bleed more like parts of your I feel body like so that, because like even if you get a cut on the top of your head and it's you, not that bad it, you bleed, like, a, you ton. bleed a bunch yeah. yeah i'm pretty sure that's the head yeah um, doesn't matter what type of head injury you have even if it's super minor like there's excess amounts of blood so. who's is amelia it's this is in the uncut scene he says yes uncut i don't think she dies in the the version we watched no because amelia's the friend on the property right like doc, like doctor or the dad is like headed over to the cabin because they have this cabin on their property and like the dad comes home and he go he finds like blood but he he can't find his daughter so he's like running through his property and he runs into one of her friends um before running to the cabin yeah that's the friend okay so in the uncut version i guess she dies but she doesn't hear she's like seen holding presents because she's coming to jenny's birthday yeah um, we don't see her death, but she's a death. Um, and then, yeah, so finally the dad dies. He So this scene's really cool. It's like our climax. Um, he walks into this cabin. It's, like, decrepit, like, like run down. Um, I love it. It's, like, storming outside, so you have, like, the lightning and thunder sound, uh, like, sound effects and light effects. And, like, she has created this, like, birthday party for herself. So all of the people who are dead, including her mother, who she has, she well, dug up. who has been dug up by um, Anne, um are around the table like wearing birthday hats it's pretty great like we have steve and his face is all like gashed up from like the motorcycle uh or etienne um we have steve with the shish kebab we have alfred with the like the pruning shears still in his stomach um bernadette you know with her uh, with her throat slit um i definitely props to the special effects team because the not only were the kills cool and effective but like the after like the characters and like you're seeing them after these kill effects is is like really effective and cool um and again this is where we get a reveal like harold is killed he sits down as um who we think is jenny comes out singing happy birthday to me to herself and we think that dad's gonna be fine because he made it home in time for her birthday yes like because we think that's the motive because during one of the flashbacks we realize all these people that are being killed were invited to jenny's birthday party and didn't didn't show up So, and her dad didn't show up to that birthday either. So Mm -hmm. we think that's the motive, but she even says, like, he sits down and she's like, you made it. You kept your promise. You're here for my birthday. Yeah. And she goes to um, cut him a piece of cake and she, she slits his throat. And then we get a reveal that it's actually, um, Anne, um, and right before she can kill Jenny, Anne, um, is killed by Jenny who reverses like the trajectory of her stab and essentially she stabs herself and then right as that happens, the cop walks in, the detective, and he's like, what have you done? Yeah, and so, like, bitch going to jail forever. Oh, yeah, like, 100% yeah. just looks like she murdered yeah. everyone in that room. And, like, the only person who can prove it is dead. And yep. you just killed her in front yep. of the cop's eyes. That was great. And I will note that um, I mentioned it in the trivia, but Berman, the makeup special effects person, is like, gone on to work with a lot of, like, medical shows. He worked on Nip Tuck and Grey's Anatomy, which you obviously know, like, the effects for those makeup have to be hyper-realistic for mm-hmm. for the makeup department for Invasion of Body Snatchers. Um, so definitely um, went on to continue to be, like, a big guy. Obviously, talent was showing here. Yeah, because not only are there kills, but there's all of the brain surgery stuff yeah. with Jenny is, like, super gross okay. and real. so with the person, another, probably the most fun trivia for this movie is that the person who the actor playing the neurosurgeon is a real neurosurgeon 
Oh, cool. Yeah, so they got a real neurosurgeon to do it so it would be realistic. It's obviously a fake brain. It's very obvious it's a fake but brain. But it's gross. But all the movements he's making and all the things he's doing, that's what he would actually do in surgery. I love that. Isn't that's, that cool? That's such a, like, smart thing. Yeah, and, like, I love so it. little. So yeah. little, but, and I'm sure it didn't, like, cost that much yeah. to be like, hey, you want to show up for a couple hours of shooting, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This guy, Tom Berman, I mean... Oh, he did my Bloody Valentine. Okay, Worked on Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Bah Humbug, but there's a lot of makeup effects in that movie. Oh, he worked on Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. The Goonies. Yeah. Body Devil. Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Oh. Die Hard 2. Cool. Okay, so so very famous. This guy's like, I felt, I was like, man, I I need to, like, he needs some credit. Um, Yeah, so Jenny is our final girl boy. Um... The, I mean, the the motive is super soap opera-y. Like, it's yeah. like, it's this half-sister who's been spurned by yeah. her family. And it's not like, I couldn't help but feeling like a little bit of scream in there because of like the whole like, because of your mother, my, yeah, my mother scream left. Yeah, very Scream 3-esque. Yeah, so I was Which like. Which I like that reveal in Scream 3. I'm yeah, like no, definitely. Do. I think it's great. Um, so like, I kind of like, that gave me a little bit of like, oh, like that definitely yeah. relates to Scream for me. So as ridiculous as it is, I don't think it's. It's not like some of the motives we get. I mean, like, fucking Terror Train, the motive is, like, you made me embarrass myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, that's not really a motive. Yeah. But, like, this is, like, it's super soap, soap opera-y, but it fits. Because uh-huh. yeah, it, it, it's, it's not, like, out of, of it's tonally correct. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's not like, okay, that's out of left field. Um, what's your favorite kill? Um, I think my favorite kill is the weights it's just i love like a funny but like gruesome kill i have to go with the weights it's It's just the whole set up for it is so good and like oh yeah maybe five more and ten more and do you know what i kept thinking of watching that was speaking of m night Shyamalan again but um kept thinking of unbreakable that scene where he's adding adding weights like that's instantly what i thought of him like but this is gonna take a different turn instead of finding out he has super strength this this guy's gonna die. And like he really nails at home, just dropping the weight on his nuts. Yeah, and like it's so great. I loved it. I mean, the the I think if the dirt bike kill had not been censored, it might have been my favorite because. I and think I it, still really like that one, and I love the fact that the scarf played in because that's yes. very, a big thing. Like the killers wearing the scarf, so you know that they're one of the top ten, one of the many reasons you know that they belong to the school. So I do love that. I mean, I think in general this had I like the kebab kill. I don't. It's not my favorite because it genuinely makes me uncomfortable. So maybe it should be great, but yeah. and also like. You probably wouldn't die from that. No. I mean, you definitely wouldn't die from that. Um, where, like, <laughs> there, the are... weight's dropping, like, on your neck and, like, fucking, like, decapitating you, for sure that could happen. Um, same with the scarf. Like, those are all, like, more realistic kills. Yeah, fucking, we're watching this and Derek goes, that wouldn't kill you? He's like, he'd be like, oh, shit, I got this thing stuck in my throat. We gotta go to a hospital. <laughs> but instead, like, instant death. Yeah, instant uh, death. Yeah. And then the rest are just kind of, like, throat slits. Throat yeah, slits, yeah. Are, a lot of, like... Which are fine. And no, they're and they're, good. like, especially Bernadette, yeah, I think, is particularly well, effective. Yeah, they're done well, but when yeah. you have a freaking, like, the campiest thing in the movie is that weight thing. Oh, and, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's why I like it. Um, horror landscape, it's definitely cult classic. Um, yeah, it's... I'm actually surprised, because we neither of us had seen it. I'm actually surprised it's not 
talked about more. Yeah, it's a little weird, especially in the circles we run in. And I know it does get thrown in as like a, a quote unquote holiday slasher yeah, because it's a it birthday. It's yeah, a birthday. it's a it's a holiday, and that's part of the motive. Well, it's not it's, the motive. It's part of, of the, the fake motive. Yeah, it's like the red herring motive. Yeah, um, and like it's how the, she's trying to frame. Jane. Yeah, and there's that final piece where like they're all on the table and it's really cool. Like yeah. it, it does create some really neat like cinematic things. Yeah, like, um, but yeah, it's I'd say it's like you know. This, again, is, like, when you get into horror movies, like, if you're, if, like, really the first stuff you get into is Halloween, you start digging, and you're like, okay, Black Christmas, My Bloody Valentine, it's, like, a layer below that. Yeah, I think I just thought it was, like, uber-be-list, which mm-hmm. I have, like, I have to be in the right mood for it, and I was, like, pleasantly surprised. I'm like, this is not bad at all. Yeah, I ended up super yeah. enjoying it, um, and, like, the group atmosphere definitely helped, but this is 100% a movie I could watch on my own and just, like, find it just as enjoyable. Um, it, it is a little weird that it's not talked about more, especially with, like, kind of, it has some, like, real, like, um, you know, like, credibility behind it, like, with, like, the, the effects team, and, like, I mean, the director's not necessarily a big horror director, but, like, an established director, um, yeah, so... Uh, if you guys don't know, at the end of our episode, we rank our movies, keepstreaming.com slash the dash list, and, oh, man, we're getting up there. Um, we're up to, does this have our newest movie on it? So we're up to 2030? Um, we, no. Um, I sent you the list. 31st? I never see it. I know. He never knows where to look. I know. Okay, so this will be your 30th, right? Yes. Okay, so this will be our 30th movie. Um, number one is in long reigning at this point, My Bloody Valentine, since February last of last year. Um, last week we watched, it wasn't Halloween, uh, New Year's Evil. Okay, yeah. Which, is that on our list? Uh-huh, yeah. No, I know it's on here. New Year's Evil is 20th. Oh, yeah, number 20. Okay, cool. So, number one is Still My Bloody Valentine from 1981, which we watched almost a year ago. That was um, February of last year. So it's been on our list for almost a year as number one. Oh my goodness. Uh, number two, Black Christmas, the original from 1974. Number three, Halloween 2018. And then rounding out the bottom of the list, um, we do have Cry Wolf at 27, Girls Night Out at 28, April Fool's Day at 29. Again, a lot of, like, Girls Night Out is the only one that, like, kind of really deserves to be at the bottom of the list there. Cry Wolf and April Fool's Day are there for different reasons. Um, so go ahead and check those episodes out to get the full details on that. Um, why are you looking mm. on this? Mm-hmm. Happy birthday to me. I actually really like this movie. Uh-huh. I mean, the killer's motives are silly, but plausible within the realm of the film. Mm-hmm. I love the score. It's a big The kills are good. It, which we know we like. I'm kind of looking, again, kind of around Intruder. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of feels like that, you know? Like, that kind of... I almost feel like number, like, kind of between Child's Play and Hellman, maybe? Is it, like, is it better than New Year's Evil? I think yes. Um, yeah, so we have more kills. We have more slasher. I mean, the kills are very slasher in New Year's Evil. Um, but we only have, what, four? Three, four, Three or yeah. four. Um, and it's really about, I mean... Oh, before we get too far, yeah, 
This movie has its own theme song. Oh, it does. It, it has is a super title, fucking creepy. Song, and it's amazing. And it's the only thing I ever want to listen to on my birthday now. Yeah. It's great. It's really, really 100% like super creepy. Uh-huh. Um, like not like jokingly, like legit. If someone, to, if someone were to play this birthday song to me on my birthday, I would think I was going to die. <laughs> like, like, like they like were going to kill me. This is an omen. Um, which by, just it's a bonus for us that it has its own well, fucking theme song. Well, we just laughed because we've watched two movies in 2019 and both of them have their own theme song. Yeah. Both have a song called New Year's Evil, had one, and then now Happy Birthday to Me has its own song. And it was sung by Stevie Wonder's ex-wife. So, um, yeah. Fun facts. Before we get too far. Sorry. Yes. Had, to, had to mention that. Uh, I know. I'm trying to think. I think it's just because it's so close in this range. Um, like, it feels like this movie actually feels... Like I said, it, like most likely did I intruder, like kind of right around there, mm-hmm. where we have a killer. I think the motive in this is actually a little better than most likely to die and intruder. Uh huh. Oh yeah, the motive's better. Um, the killer's better. I think the kills are similar to most likely to die, where we get some that are outrageous themed. or well, like yeah, not, not themed, themed, but like we get some like kind of like really spectacular ones, yeah. and then just some like really basic. We gotta ones. kill this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually think I like this more than most likely today. Yeah. This is getting really hard for me. There's too many things to be like, well, okay, but why is it better than this and better than that? And I think the list as we go on has just kind of been like, yeah, sure, it fits in this. It's it's going to be less like super analyzing it from movie to movie and be like, it's in this range. Yeah, which because, that's how I look at like this range. Yeah, like, because we're getting to the point where it's like 30 films. I can't like list out... Uh, why the, the bottom reasons. 10 it's better mm-hmm. than the 10 below it yeah so like i think it becomes easier to, to kind of just look and go as a whole is it better than this as a whole did yeah. i like it more than this like does it fit our does slasher parameters more slasher. than this and i think it works better than most... i don't know if it works better as a slasher than most likely yeah. to die though i think better than intruder and one of the reasons why intruder is so high is because of its inventiveness and yeah. the kills mm-hmm. are so above and beyond for a slasher film that we forgive, like, the wonky killer and his motive right. and um, some of the weird stuff. So I definitely think this works better as a slasher than Intruder. But I think, I don't know if it works better than Most Likely to Die. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, the motive is better than Most Likely to Die. And the score is better. Um, the score is better, but the setup and the pacing and, like, how it goes from, here's our group of people we're going to get to know them, and now they're slowly going to die. Um, I think with Happy Birthday to Me, the the fun about it is its downside is that it takes a lot of directions. Mm-hmm. And so we don't necessarily get, here's our group of teens. Um, yes, they are slowly dying before her 18th birthday, but that sort of gets muddled, that plot point. It wasn't even really until the end I realized, like, oh, it's her birthday, right. and she's having a party. Mm-hmm. It's not like it keeps getting talked about. Yeah. And I think if that was maybe more of a focus, it'd work better as, like, a standard slasher than it does. I'm okay with it being our new 17. So, so under most likely to die, but above, above intruder. intruder. Yep. Okay. Cool. So it is our new number 17. Uh, yeah, uh, so Happy Birthday to Me lands at number 17, right after Most Likely to Die from 2015 and right above Intruder from 1989. Um, man, we're getting real close to February. I don't know um, I don't know what we're watching for the end of this month. Do we have anything picked out? 
Um, I think we decided that we were going to go with one of our um, viewer, viewer recommendations our after our records. anniversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we'll probably pick that once we're done recording. Um, and we'll let you guys know what that is so you can watch it. Um, and then we'll have one more episode um, after that. And then the episode. So we'll have an episode on the 11th of February. And then the 25th we will be covering um, the new Happy... Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day yes. to you. Yeah. Um, and it'll come out like two, the episode will come out two weekends after the movie. So you'll have like a little chance to see it. But I know we're definitely going to cover that as it's released. And eventually we'll get that episode with Brennan in. I've been texting him trying to figure out a time. Um, and There's a little bonus one in there somewhere. What, what do we, so Happy Death Day to me and what for February? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Valentine. Because Scream Factory just announced that new Valentine release. Yeah, we could do Valentine this year. I think that'd be a fun one to do. Yeah, um, knock out one of our very small um, two, is it in 2000s? 2000? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. David Boreanaz and fucking Denise yeah, But Richards. it's like early 2000s, yeah, yeah. like 02 yes, or something. Yeah. yeah, it's on the cusp. Cool, there. so we'll probably do that, um, which was Jamie Blanks, um, who we love. Um, so, yeah, um, next week is going to be a v- listener, listener pick. Listener, yeah. Um, then we're going to do Valentine. Then we're going to do Happy Death Day to you. Um, and then, okay, we're going to be in March, guys. Yeah, and then we'll start figuring stuff out. And then yeah. B's going to be close to popping a baby out. So Yeah, be popping out a baby. I think we decided that we're probably going to um, sort of backlog an episode or two. And then you'll probably, maybe Ryan will do some fun stuff without me. Um, you guys can take a break from listening to me. The baby's going to be a host. Yeah. <laughs> Put up the baby on. Yeah, baby Mackenzie on. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, yeah, so we'll be back in two weeks with um, uh, something that you guys picked. So... Uh, we'll look through all the things that you guys have suggested and we'll tweet out and put it on the social like what we're going to do. And until then, keep screaming! 